Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's Locked On without a space. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, your daily podcast covering the Florida Gators. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host. He is back after about a week hiatus, not a two or three week hiatus like the Florida Gators, but uh, one week off from the show, it is Demetrius Harvey. You know, Demetrius, I'd say we missed you, but Brandon Carroll filled in so well that we really didn't. In which case, you guys should go and follow Demetrius and Brandon as we're doing these Twitter uh, shout-outs. You can find Demetrius at Demetrius82 and Brandon at It's D. Carroll. A week since you last said it, D, say what's up to the people. What's up, everyone? I hope you enjoyed the past, what would it be, four to five episodes without me? And I'll be honest, Brandon did an incredible job. I'm really proud of him. He's doing a great job at his as he's trying to make his way into journalism. I mean, this was a great time for him, great practice, and we're going to have him on. I hope you guys enjoyed him. We'll have him on a few times, maybe in the next few weeks. We'll see what's going on and just throughout the season. But I hope you guys are happy that I'm back. I hope you missed me a little bit, unlike what Zach said, obviously. You guys didn't miss me all that much. Maybe. I don't know. I, I guess we'll find out in the comments. But... The Gators won. I guess that that's what we'll be talking about today. What do you say, Zach? Yes, Demetrius. You you were gone, but at least you got the word that the, the Gators did win. Yeah, I was surprised. A little I, bit. So that was my thing. Coming into the game, I was really worried. I made it known and people hated me for it. And I said it on the pod throughout the week. Florida gets off to a slow start. I don't like their odds because of how their defense has been playing. They can't play from behind. Florida came back from behind last night. Even though, you know, it wasn't really by a ton, you know, they were losing 7-6 to six at one point, and they ended up winning 41-17 to 17 over Missouri. And I say last night because we were recording this on Sunday night after the game was on Saturday, and this will be our Monday episode. As we recap, we're going to be talking about the defense and how well they did. Moving on to the offense in our second segment before discussing the big brawl between the Gators and the Tigers that occurred at halftime. So, Demetrius... You didn't get to watch the game live, but you've gone back. We both talked about it. The defense was lights out. It was unlike anything we had seen at all this year. Oh, my goodness. All right, so first of all, Zach's right. I didn't get to watch the game live. I was actually driving down or in, in a car that was driving down from New Jersey to Florida, and you guys know that drive is around 14 hours. So wasn't able to watch the game last night, and I did follow it a little bit on Twitter. And I noticed, you know, people were saying the defense is doing well. I noticed that the defense was doing well with the highlights. But then I watched it today, actually, only a few hours ago before we started this podcast. And and really, everything that people were saying is what I saw on tape. I, I got to hand it to him. I got <laughs> to do it. Todd Grantham, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know if I was going to apologize on this podcast. And, and you know what? Maybe it was a one-off thing. And I'm not saying that I would hope it would be a one-off thing, but we were we have been very highly critical of this defense for the past few weeks. Almost every single podcast, we mentioned how bad it was and how they're never going to be able to be good because they didn't show us anything to be excited about, to think that maybe this is going to be a change. But this Gators defense was lights out. 
I think that they scored or they only allowed three points as starters, which in and of itself is is incredible. Obviously, Missouri missed that first field goal, and then they made the, I think it was the second to last drive or third to last drive for for Missouri where they made another field goal. But that's it. Yeah, Gator starters. The mm-hmm. it was their defense that scored that touchdown, the pick six. Right. It was it, it was the pick six, and they weren't able to do anything. And that's incredible. The, I was looking at the I was looking at the the stat sheets, and the Gators allowed just three third down conversions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, what 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 better what what a better performance could they have had? I'm not actually sure because everything was that good. They. For so many punts, they forced seven punts. It, it it just it just didn't make sense to me how much they flipped the switch and they had two weeks away from the from the practice field. Dan Mullen told us, you know, these zooms they didn't really do much. Well, I guess they didn't need the zooms to do much because they did everything that they could on the limited practice that they had with the limited secondary that they had, and they stopped Missouri clean and clean. It was just it was just a great performance by the Gators defense. I got to hand it to them. Uh, Maybe they'll continue this week against Georgia. Maybe it was the garbage cans and chairs that really did the magic as they worked at home in quarantine. Hey, James Houston talked about that, and those garbage cans and chairs, they can come in handy. You never know. Now, we saw some changes. I mean, we knew before the game, uh, as I have reported as well as Zach Abelverde, that Florida was going to be missing some players. Uh, Three starters out in the secondary, as well as their starting kicker, Evan McPherson, being out. Uh, Some other quality depth players as well. Um, whether it was due to COVID or not, we're not sure, but we know for a fact that they just weren't going to be available, and we found out throughout the week. Um, and yet, you know, they had all these changes to their secondary, three new starters. On top of that, Trey Dean gets hurt and only plays three plays, and they've got to move guys around. Uh, Brad Stork goes from star to safety and moves in between the two. Another freshman, so two true freshmen ended up playing significantly in snaps throughout the secondary before they started moving a little more into the depth. You know, we we saw a ton of changes there. We saw Kyrie Campbell re-enter the lineup on the defensive line. So all of a sudden, you know, Todd Grantham didn't seem to forecast many changes coming, especially with freshmen playing throughout the week. Then his hand was forced. On top of that, a couple other additions, and these changes worked. What do you know? You know, you put in a few new guys, and you get a little bit different production. Now, one guy who was mainly out, I don't know if Zach mentioned him, but Marco Wilson was out, and obviously Brad Stewart started in his place at star, which I don't know about you, but I didn't see a drop-off at all. If anything, I saw there was it was great. Like they, The secondary played as well as they probably could have. Trevez Johnson did come in a lot, as Zach pointed out. Rashad Torrance obviously was the starting safety along with Sean Davis, and it's just... It, this was an incredible performance by the Gators secondary, especially with the amount of changes that were made on the fly. This isn't as if they've been practicing with these defenders for the past couple of weeks. Sure, they've been in practice doing this, you know, before that, but this is brand new to them. They had the one week to really prepare. I think it just shows the incredible amount of raw talent that this defense has or this secondary has, especially the young players and the players that they're able to get in there and actually make a difference. Well, you know what's that, telling is mm-hmm. that, you know, Grantham didn't necessarily want to make these moves. And I don't mean to keep dragging him because, you know, you did apologize and he absolutely deserves his credit here. But 
he was saying he doesn't want to rush guys. He doesn't want to change his philosophies and stuff like that. Yet, three veterans, three seniors or redshirt juniors, uh, potato, potato, were struggling immensely with their communication skills. Uh, that was one of the biggest things that was an issue with the secondary through three games. And they were, it seemed it last night, their secondary communication was perfect. They said it after the game that it was great, that there was just, they were all gelling together super well. Right. It's pretty telling, right? <laughs> no, it, it really is. It just shows, it just goes to show that not necessarily that because a player is young, they're going to get in there and not know what they're doing. These guys are smart players too. They recruited them for a reason. Some of these guys were, you know, four star guys who come in and they're supposed to be good mm-hmm. and they're playing like they are. You know, maybe those first three games were good for them to sit out a little bit, not play a full allotment of snaps. But these guys have also been in. I know Rashad Torrance has been in, Travis Johnson has been in. So, like, these guys have been playing a little bit at least, but to see them actually do well and more snaps, especially for Rashad, it's just. It just shows how much further advanced they are. And then, you know, I'm actually not sure if Steiner comes back, if he has a starting position. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what what Trey Dean, what his issue is. I know that he was seen with crutches, but are they going to really miss him in there and be able to play Travis Johnson? I mean, at this point, if these guys are doing well, especially how young they are, you might as well continue playing them. And we'll see if Todd Grantham takes that to heart or if, you know, Marco Wilson comes back. They're just going to take Brad Stewart out, have him, and just kind of revert back. We'll we'll see what they do. But being able to have a, a game where outside of those two drives in which the Gators are, I guess the one drive really where, where they were scored on, and then the one in the beginning where they missed the field goal, outside of those two drives, the Gators starting defense gave up only 53 yards. <laughs> how How can you knock a defense at all or change a defense at all within the the next few weeks when they're doing something like that. We'll see what they do against Georgia, but against Missouri, a team that put up 45 yards against LSU, and I understand that LSU might be fraudulent now, but just it, it was just an incredible performance. I got to hand it to him, and I got to hand it to, to the young guys mainly who were able to come in and actually have a big day. Quickly before we move on, what did you see from Kyrie Campbell? Yeah. <laughs> this is a guy who we, we, we didn't – at least me and Zach, we, we didn't say that he wouldn't make an impact. He was obviously going to make an impact every single down. It wouldn't matter because of TJ Slayton. He'd be able to take a few plays off instead of having to play 50 snaps a game. You know, you, you get a better rotation. But this guy made an impact on the defensive line. He was in there, and he's able to take on the blockers. I think that you can see he's able to take on the guys, take on the double teams and get a tackle for a loss like he got near the end of the game. I think it was a tackle for a loss or a sack, one of the two. And just just incredible performance by the defensive line today. I think that we didn't really talk about him, but Britton Cox, that might have been his most complete game that I've ever seen him play. Mm-hmm. In that's the thing is having a guy like Campbell there taking on those double teams and all those blocks opens things up for guys. Like we've been saying all along, we've been needing someone like Campbell where, yeah, exactly, Slayton played 32 snaps well Definitely the lowest amount he's played all year. But he looked fresher. As the game went on, he was more consistent. Campbell, I've not really seen him play strong side end. But he was playing four technique or strong side end uh, as as the top guy on the line after Campbell left. So he's also got some versatility there. His, his addition, it's so important. And we're definitely going to see that as the year goes on. And as uh, we move on here, we're going to be moving on to the Gators offense. After these messages, we're going to be talking about 
What they did well, their slow start, how they rebounded, and Kyle Trask set some Gators history against the Missouri Tigers. What's up, everybody? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Locked On Gators podcast. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Whether it's work, friends, family, a million pressing social issues, or just an expectation in general to be on 24-7. Sometimes you need to just take a moment, turn off, hit reset. You need to chill. And that's when you reach for a Coors Light. Especially on game days, man. I'll tell you what, I can't really drink much during college football Saturdays, but on NFL Sundays, it's therapeutic for me, man, to sit down, drink a beer, and enjoy some football. And that's what I do. I'll reach for a Coors Light. It's the official beer of watching any sport, just to drink beer. It's mountain cold refreshment that's literally made to chill. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. That's get.coorslight.com to get Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. So I had predicted before the game, and I'm going to eat some crow here, as you had apologized to Todd Grantham, that if Florida got off to a slow start, they were in trouble. I didn't say they'd lose, so I'm going to make that clarification before people attack me. But I I figured they probably would be. You know, at that point, I really didn't trust the defense. Missouri had found ways to score in ways that Florida had struggled. And right after three weeks between games, like, I don't care how good Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts were. I wasn't going to 100% expect everyone them to come out and look like they had for the weeks before. I thought there'd be some rust for them to shop, uh, shake off. And what do you know? That ended up being true. They came out and they scored field goals on back-to-back drives. They just weren't able to finish. They looked a little out of sync at times, which I'm, I know, Demetrius, you got a couple notes on that. Then Trask threw his pick six. They had a couple punts after that. They just were really out of sync. There wasn't much happening. Missouri was up 7-6, to six, and then all of a sudden, everything clicked. Before they got to that point, what did you see from the offense? Yeah, it, it just wasn't the Gators' offense that I was used to seeing, and I kind of expected that. I mean, two weeks off, you got to knock the rust off somehow. They weren't firing all cylinders. They weren't running the football. They weren't I, – I feel as though this was a rust game or a rust first half or first – one and seven or one and three fourths of a quarter uh, for the Gators, not only for their offense in terms of personnel, but also for the play callers. I felt as though they weren't quite sure what was going to work at first. And they were trying to do everything that they could to get these guys rolling. But it, it just, it just went to show that when they, when the Gators got into the red zone, I forgot who set them up to get them into the red zone. It might've been Pierce on that, uh, on that check down. And he kind of made a few guys miss, which we'll we'll get to Pierce in a little bit. But three straight passes in the red zone after the Pierce wiggle, and he was able to get get in there and obviously looked explosive. And then Trask stumbled and got back to the line of scrimmage, and then they were able to kick that second field goal of the day. You could just see that it wasn't necessarily a game where they're going to actually fire on all cylinders. This wasn't a game where they're going to every single drive I believe at one point in the season they were firing at 70% offensive efficiency, which means that they were converting either, I guess, touchdowns or field goals on 70% of their drives, which was the best in the nation 
according to Pro Football Focus. So it just wasn't the same type of offense that you were used to seeing. Sure, there were some, you know, explosive plays. The I felt like that Kyle, that first Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts play, I think it went for 32 yards, probably the best throw I've seen Kyle Trask. And he's had a couple of them that have been amazing. Uh, yeah, but I said, I said the same in the moment last night. I was, I knew right then that that was the throw. Yeah, it was just like it was one of those tight window or not not even tight window, but like just he dropped it right in there between uh, between Pitts and the defender right into his hands. It was it was a perfect throw. He throws it up high. I was like, I don't know how like how this is going to come down, because like I said, I didn't see the game until a few hours ago. Perfectly thrown ball. And I thought that at that point, maybe the Gators offense was going to start clicking and they kind of did. And then it just kind of fizzled out. So. After those first couple field goals, I was kind of wondering the same thing as you and then the punts. I just didn't know how this was going to end up, but clearly they changed. Well, that's the thing. Damian Pierce had two carries for 10 yards and that reception for 34 yards. So he was at three total touches for 44 yards. And within those two drives, they ran six red zone plays and they didn't run a single rushing play. And then as soon as (laughs) they came back – on the next drive that they took the field, it was the interception. They did not run with Damian once. Rather, the first play from scrimmage, Naquan Wright took a handoff. Uh, then Trask had a one-yard keeper, and it, right after that was Anthony Richardson for seven yards. Uh, in between that, there was the pass to Maury Gamble. But there was, like, what was going on? You took out Damian after he was your most effective guy. You didn't use him in the red zone whatsoever. And then you take him out. It just didn't – it's, again, we don't need to beat – the dead horse, but their run game makes zero sense. And Kyle Trask was their leading rusher last night, so that's all there is to say about that. However, enough with the negativity because we've got a lot of time now to talk about positivity. And that is the Gators' offense as soon as they came out and scored under the two-minute warning uh, in the first half. Uh, To Kadarius Toney, he had back-to-back touchdowns to um, end the half, and he just, you know, he took over the game. He had a hat trick himself because he came out and scored a third one early in the third quarter. That's what really separated things, made it a three-score lead for Florida. And after, like you said, they had gone through that quarter quarter and three quarters of a quarter, say that five times fast, they they finally did seem to find their groove. Yeah, this was when, obviously, Kadarius Toney, oh my gosh, that – that play where he just throws three defenders, I feel like it was, off of his back, literally, and then somehow sneaks into the end zone. I, someone put a screenshot up, and it, it if you look at the screenshot, you'll end up saying, yeah, this guy's obviously going down. Even Jacob Copeland's kind of just standing there like, all right, you know, he's down. Let's, you know, get ready to roll. No, he gets right back up, or doesn't even get back up, but just moves out of the way and goes into the end zone. You're like, how did he even do that? And these are the type of plays that they need to have from their offensive players. And that's why the, in my opinion, why the Gators offense was actually able to start getting off to a roll because they started getting these guys, the ball who are their best playmakers. They're getting Kyle Pitts, the ball they're getting even Jacob Copeland, the football near the end. And then also in the middle of this game, it's just, you're you're when, when you're able to get those chunk plays and then you're able to get those explosive runs and those crazy runs from Kadarius Tony and things like that, it just takes off. It just lets you play a lot more loose. It lets you get the offense rolling and it, it, 
it was interesting to see. And I, I, I just love to see how they were able to control the football beyond those first, you know, couple, couple quarters and then get out there firing. The Gators controlled the football very well this game, 33 minutes to 27 minutes. Uh, Zach pointed out earlier that this was the same exact time of possession split that they had against Ole Miss, and they won that game handedly pretty much. Uh, sort of, sort of in, the, in, in the same way, but obviously Missouri's offense was a lot more terrible than Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin's offense. It, it was just, it was just a great day at the end of the day from these guys like Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, who kind of was quiet on the day, but suddenly was the highest targeted and highest reception for the Gators' offense. Suddenly, so and yards, and yards. So like. <laughs> Solar leading receiver, and they had nine guys. Nine guys catch a pass. Yeah, and well, also you you, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned you know Tony having the two scores and them still splitting it around. Mm-hmm. Trask set the UF record for four consecutive games with four plus touchdown passes for a quarterback in UF history to do it. The other two go on to guys we haven't even mentioned: Trayvon Grimes and Justin Short. There you go. If you can have all these weapons going around. And you can have a quiet day, quote unquote, from a Kyle Pitts. Where I bet you, most of you guys, when the game ended, if you if you were to be told that Kyle Pitts had five receptions for eighty one yards, you'd be like, "When?" Because that's just how flowing and easy it seemed like the Gators were able to get going against these Missouri Tigers, and how many players that they were to, they were able to get involved was exactly what Dan Mullen wants, exactly what Billy Gonzalez wants exactly what the entire offensive staff wants. And it's it's just a, a credit to them. The only knock that I really have besides those first few drives was, you know, 30.8% uh, third down conversion. That's just not going to get it done every time. You got to convert those third downs at least around 45-50%. But otherwise, I thought it was a great day and great bounce back day after a bye period, week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was. Yeah, without a doubt. But there was one distraction. That was the fight at halftime. When we come back from this break, we'll be breaking it down a lot more, giving a timeline as to what we saw and what Dan Mullen had to say after the fact. You know, I've been trying to get back in the gym recently, but I just couldn't figure out what to do after. Sure, I can just make a protein shake, but that's annoying. It doesn't always taste good and it can be time-consuming. That's why I've started to eat Build Bars right after my workout. Not only do they taste amazing, but they are incredibly healthy with 19 grams of protein in the peanut butter flavor. I can't go wrong. Now, I'm not a keto guy myself, but it's a low-calorie, low-sugar profile that makes it easier for any of you out there that are. Right now, you can go to BuildBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuildBar.com. As the clock was expiring on a deep shot, about 50 yards down the field. Kyle Trask took what was definitely a late hit. Watching it in slow-mo, as everyone's seen on Twitter, it's hard to make out just how late it was, but clearly a bit of a late hit. Uh, it went uncalled. Guys were mad. Emotions, you know, they, they ran high, and suddenly there was a huge fight involving both teams at midfield with Dan Mullen raging, going eight. Just right there in the middle. Demetrius, you just got, I mean, you got to see the clips on Twitter, but you got to see it all unfold watching the game. 
what did you see and help me here where I want to try and put together a timeline as to what we think actually instigated the original event and then how things took off. Right. So just kind of as you're watching, obviously in the broadcast view, it's not clear to see what's going on because as soon as Kyle Trask gets hit, the ball kind of gets knocked away in the end zone. They're going to the wide shot. They're not necessarily looking at the action. And then the announcers start saying, you know, well, there's a little bit of pushing and shoving. Like, it's, it's no big deal. And then all of a sudden you see another camera angle where Dan Mullen is running onto the field, seems to be yelling a little bit. The players were still kind of talking, but they weren't necessarily going at it at this point. It seemed like once Dan Mullen started to yell a little bit or to do whatever he was doing, maybe he was also, because he said after the game, he was trying to get his players off the field. So when, when Dan was doing whatever he was doing on the field, you guys can watch the clip for yourself if he's yelling or if he's talking to somebody. It seemed like he well, was. Well, I'll tell you what. At this very point, the part of the clip we're talking about, he wasn't getting guys off the field. Yeah, exactly. That, he was That's sort of my point. He, he, was, he was more necessarily going after or talking to or at the Missouri team. And then also there was refs in the area. Um, the Missouri head coach was in the area. So – there was a bunch of, of moving parts, but the point is once he started doing that, then obviously the Gators players started to go at it with the Missouri players. Missouri players started to go out with the Gators players. And then that's kind of when it started, you know, the, 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 the brawl quote unquote unleashed. And you could see a couple of players. You saw clearly Zach Carter was throwing haymakers. You saw number zero for Missouri. I don't know his Trey name. Williams. Trey Williams. He was throwing a lot of haymakers at helmets, which, you know, obviously is very smart to do because you know your hands are made of steel so it's going to blast right through those helmets um but you saw him and then you saw Powell obviously getting into it and then you can't really see necessarily who else was doing stuff but there was a few other guys who were clearly in the scuffle at some point either pulling guys away or maybe pushing a little bit maybe there was some other fights going on we we didn't even see from the camera angle who knows but those were the three guys that got ejected those were the three guys who ultimately got um taken out of the game for the for the second half of the game. And it doesn't appear at least right now, which we'll get into that they might get suspended for this next game, which would be good for the Gators. Yeah. We saw like Stuart Reese and Ventro Miller. We obviously saw Dan Mullen uh, and some others also get really heated up. And, you know, some of those guys definitely fighting, not Mullen, but we saw Reese and we saw Miller fighting. I have a feeling what they did was ejected the guys that were the clear instigators in terms of throwing hands guys that really started that stuff and afterwards you know you can't eject the entire team and there were a lot of guys getting in there and you know getting antsy so i think they just wanted to get those couple of guys that they could identify as threats in the situation get them off the field and get them out of there and then yeah we heard the rest both teams got an unsportsmanlike it was at the end of the first half so it seems like this should not carry over to the Georgia game in terms of trouble. Maybe there could be fines. Maybe maybe the SEC will say, hey, you know what, we're suspending guys because this is not acceptable behavior. But at least based off of the rules with penalties, they seem like they should be fine for this upcoming week. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, they've only had a day to look over the footage. I'm sure they have special angles that um, the SEC network is able to provide to the SEC and the NCAA if they both want to review this stuff. Um, I don't know if there's going to be suspensions. It doesn't seem like there are because usually those will come a day after the game or maybe maybe they would come on Monday. But 
I guess we'll see. For now, it seems as though Carter and Powell, although Powell is more of a backup, but Carter, if Carter was absent for the first half of that Georgia game, that would be a huge loss for the Gators defense, especially because their offensive, their defensive line just kind of got rolling. Uh, so they got to hope that he's not. And I think that we would be remiss if we didn't mention Dan Mullen's reaction after the fact. So, you know, after everything was done, they're going to the locker room. I see Dan Mullen pumping up the crowd, getting everybody riled up. And then he comes back for like, it seemed as though he had an encore moment <laughs> where he wants to pump up the crowd a little bit more, which is smart. I mean, if you're a head coach of a football team, you see the crowds getting into it. You kind of want to, you kind of want them to be pumped up. Yeah. Uh, and he's, I, he's always been a guy to do that. He loves getting the crowd into games. Right. So I get where so, he, why he does that, but you, you know what? Maybe people will hate me for this. Like I Get oh, no. him taking. I get him taking advantage of a good crowd, especially like we've seen it. We saw it last year against Auburn, and it was like it was genuinely entertaining to see how enthused he was by it. If I'm the head coach of a football team, especially one where I just helped instigate a huge brawl, I I'm thinking well and good about the optics of me hyping up the crowd as if I'm a wrestler and just went and KO'd someone. Well, I will say that optics and Dan Mullen do not really blend this season. You took I don't the words necessarily out of my mouth. I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't necessarily view it too bad, too poorly, because I, I can kind of see his point of view. I mean, it's just the crowd's getting pumped up. I, I can see him coming out there. Even now, you though, know, do you know who the overreactors are? Who the people that are taking the Darth Vader part of it and throwing it back at him. Oh gosh! And said, I didn't... a bad optics. He looks like a child. Whatever. You know what, man? No. Like there was a story to that with his kids, mm-hmm. and that get get over yourself. Yeah, no. And, and and to kind of explain what what Zach is talking about, after the game, Dan Mullen came out in a Darth Vader um, costume. Obviously, it was Halloween, but the significance of that was that you know usually on Halloween they're able to give their coaches some time off. They'll either have a really early or really really late meeting so that they can have some time to spend with their kids and you know this year he wasn't able to do that with his kids and go trick-or-treating i believe his daughter's nine years old and he wanted to go trick-or-treating with her and you know he was going to wear darth vader and it was going to be all that so you know well, he, he was saying also something with like christmas time and stuff too right well, well they're like yeah. they're always in hotels and stuff so he wants to take advantage of yeah. the little things with his family and you know what like call him out for the optics of the crowd all you want but you've mm-hmm. got to you gotta give me a break with this with the Halloween costume thing. Yeah, no, I'll I'll completely agree with that. There there was nothing wrong with him. I thought it was comical and you know fun for him to come out. I wish I was on that presser because it was just been fun to see to see it live and in, in mm-hmm. person, be able to ask him questions while he's in the Darth Vader costume. But <laughs> I digress, and it, it it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, he he wore the Darth Vader costume. It was great. Everybody should laugh. It has nothing to do with the game or with the score or with the fight at all. Um, at the end of the day, this is football. You know, players get into fights. Brawls happen. We've seen it before. But Dan Mullen did say that there's something that he would never want to see his team do, especially before a big week like the Florida Georgia game, which we'll get into more this week. That's right, we will. In which case, I think that'll do it for us today. Uh, this is going to be a busy week. We are excited to preview this upcoming Florida-Georgia game. I have a feeling we'll have Brooks Austin on the podcast. We'll find a way to get him here. If not, we'll have someone coming on to talk Georgia throughout the week. 
Make sure to subscribe anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to Locked On Gators. Leave a rating and review. Follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Zach underscore Goodall. Demetrius at Demetrius82. And, of course, go and follow at Locked On Gators, and you'll never miss a show. Catch up with you guys next time.